Managing your law practice can be challenging. Marketing, time management, attracting clients, and all the things besides the cases that you need to do that aren't billable. Welcome to this edition of the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast. This is where you'll get the information you need from expert guests and host Christopher Anderson, here on Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast helping attorneys achieve more success. We're glad you can listen today on the Legal Talk Network. And today's episode is about you. You know, as I uh, have told you in previous uh, episodes, we've talked about uh, your marketing and your sales. We've talked about uh, how to hire people and, and train them and retain them. We've talked about how to make work flow through your business. Um, we've even talked about how to rent an office and certainly about your numbers and metrics and and finances and accounting. But it's all really about you because we talk about this podcast as being about building a law firm business that works for you. And today we're going to talk specifically about you. The title of today's episode is Wellness, Taking Good Care of You. And my guests today are Dr. Teresa Albizu and Dr. Gerardo Rodriguez Menendez. They're co-presidents of the RA Pinnacle Group, a firm that focuses on leadership development, education, consulting, and management consulting. Dr. Albizu has served as a higher education leader for over 20 years. Uh, She held a faculty appointment teaching courses in marriage and family therapy and maintained a private mental health practice focusing on relationship issues. Today, Dr. Albizu works with professionals on leadership development, executive coaching, and also serves as a wellness consultant to businesses and law firms. Dr. Rodriguez Menendez currently serves as the founding chair of the postdoctoral master's in clinical psychopharmacology at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. Dr. Rodriguez is also a licensed psychologist and he's board certified in clinical psychology and a fellow of the American Academy of Clinical Psychology. And with them today, we are going to discuss the important topic of wellness and particularly of wellness in the legal profession. Of course, I am your host, Christopher Anderson. I'm an attorney with a singular passion for helping other lawyers achieve success with their law firm businesses as they define it. In the Unbillable Hour, we are dedicated to helping lawyers achieve freedom through their businesses, and our guests help you learn more about how to make your law firm business work for you instead of the other way around. Before we get started, I do want to say a thank you to our sponsors, Answer One, Solo Practice University, Scorpion, and Law Clerk. Answer One is a leading virtual receptionist and answering services provider for lawyers. You can find out more by giving them a call at 800-ANSWER-1 or online at www.answerone.com. And that's www.answer1.com. Solo Practice University is a great resource for solos no matter how long you've been practicing. Make sure you check out solopracticeuniversity.com and learn how to run your practice better. Scorpion crushes the standard for law firm online marketing with proven campaign strategies to get attorneys better cases from the internet. Partner with Scorpion to get an award-winning website and ROI-positive marketing programs today. Visit scorpionlegal.com forward slash podcast. Law Clerk, where attorneys hire freelance lawyers. There are no sign-up or monthly fees. Only pay the flat fee price you set. Increase your profits, not your overhead. Learn more at www.lawclerk.legal. And today's episode of the Unbillable Hour is Wellness, 
Taking Good Care of You. And again, my guests today are Dr. Teresa Albizo and Dr. Gerardo Rodriguez-Menendez, or Teresa and Jerry, co-presidents of the RA Pinnacle Group. Doctors, welcome to the Unbillable Hour. Well, thank you, Chris. We're glad to be here. Thank you for coming. Absolutely, Chris. Awesome. So we'll roll right into this. I mean, this topic of talking about you, you know, in the Unbillable Hour, we so often talk about the technicalities of the law firm business, about getting their marketing working, getting their sales improved, getting uh, their systems and their hiring and uh, their numbers and their metrics all figured out. But once in a while, we do circle back to talking about growing the professional, because one of the things we understand at the Unbillable Hour is that before professional growth comes, personal growth has to come. And that's, that's one of the topics that we cover. So we're so lucky to have you guys with us. And one of the things that uh, we're focusing on in our talk with you today is about wellness. So the first question I had for you is, you know, I've been seeing a lot in the uh, American Bar Association and really around the country in other forums as well, wellness being discussed in a way that it never really was before. Why do you think that lawyer well-being is receiving so much attention today? Well, Chris, um, the legal profession really has known for many, many years that its students and its practitioners are really not thriving in the profession, mm -hmm. but little, uh, little has been done about it. So back in 2016, the American Bar Association Commission on Lawyer Assistance Programs and the uh, Hazelden Betty Ford Foundation joined forces to conduct a study wherein they interviewed 13,000 active practicing lawyers, and the findings were a bit worrisome. So, for example, of those surveyed, 36% of attorneys qualified themselves as problem drinkers. 28% reported struggling with some level of depression. 19% said they were struggling with anxiety. And 23%, that's about a quarter of the population was suffering from stress. So these are very high indicators of uh, mental health challenges. And in particular, one salient uh, result of the study was that young lawyers in the first 10 years of practice and those working in private firms experienced the highest rates of problem drinking and depression. So I think we need to take a look at this data. This is an excellent study, and we need to take a look at this data so that we know what is it that we need to do to really pinpoint the strategies that would be proved most effective in helping attorneys as they transition into the profession with the young lawyers and as they continue to thrive in the profession itself. Yeah, and I don't like to uh, often talk about how long it's been since I was in law school, but I got to believe that one of the issues that we're dealing with, too, is that some of these habits start even before they're admitted into, into law school. But I think one area I'd like to explore, because, you know, we think about lawyers this way, but different professions have, you know, different reputations. We know that medical doctors work really hard and, and long and have high stress rates and, and associate some of them uh, with maybe having some of the same problems in other professions. I know architects, uh, when I was in school, architects were the ones that were working all through the night. You know, you just gave out some statistics regarding the legal profession. What do you know about how those compare to other professions and to the general population? Well, as, uh, as it regards to depression, whereas the study shows that 28% of the attorneys report struggling, right, mm -hmm. with depressive disorders, that compares to 15% of physicians 
and 11% of nurses, and about 9% of artists and entertainers. Now, major depressive disorder has a lifetime prevalence of between 10 to 15%. However, there is a gender difference as well. Mm -hmm. So in terms of point prevalence, meaning at any one time, 5 to 9% of women are reporting feelings of depression, whereas 2 to 3% of men are. And did you ascribe that to actual incidents or to willingness to report? That is actual incidents based on data gathered by studies done of practitioners providing clinical services. Okay. So that's really interesting. So something that jumped out to me was that, in fact, the legal profession as a whole is doing really poorly compared to the general population and to the other professions. Like where the legal profession seems to be struggling as much or more than anybody else. Yes, that certainly seems to be the case. And and that is important to take a look at because the idea is to figure out how all this is impacting your performance as an attorney and how certainly is impacting yourself as well as your relationships. Right. And and quite honestly, I mean when you think about this from an ethical perspective or from a you know professionalism perspective, you know, if we're at 28% having problem drinking and you know, similar percents having depression and stress, then we're also not serving our clients to the best of our abilities if we're ignoring this problem and not taking care of it. Yeah, that certainly would be correct. In fact, the uh, task force report did a really great job at discussing why should we care about stress and well-being in the profession. And they concluded and identified three very compelling reasons. So, First, lawyer well-being contributes to organizational success, and that is regardless of the setting where law professionals work. So whether in law firms, private business or corporations, nonprofits, government, if your cognitive functioning is impaired by stress, legal professionals would be unable to perform at their highest levels of competence, right? right? So in other right. words... Lawyer well-being is good for business. <laughs> Indeed. So one of the things, the first, in fact, the first statistic that you cited was about problem drinking. And I think, you know, it also probably relates to other substance abuse as well. Um, I certainly know that when I was just entering law school, I had got some summer jobs. And there were, in among the lawyers in those firms, there was substance abuse that exceeded alcohol. But, you know, drinking, the legal profession is also sort of known as a hard-drinking profession mm. when we're thinking about this as a problem. How do you define the difference or how do we know the difference between substance abuse and substance dependency and why does it matter? Well, I think that the first thing is to actually understand what a substance is. Mm -hmm. So a substance can be a legal drug such as alcohol or nicotine. And mm -hmm. in fact, the drug with the highest user to dependency ratio is nicotine. Sure, yeah. A drug can also be an illegal recreational drug, but it can also be a prescribed drug. Mm -hmm. Technically, a uh, substance can also be a toxin. So when we're talking about substance abuse then, what we're referring to is that the person is having a maladaptive pattern or a lot of difficulties in terms of their daily life uh, marked by one of the following, one or more of the following failure to meet a major role obligation, 
use of the substance when it's physically hazardous, such as driving a car, for example. Right, right. Legal problems, such as a DUI or uh, assault charges stemming from the use of the substance, and then social or interpersonal uh, difficulties. And this is really insidious, meaning, you know, it takes a while. And then what ends up happening is that certain substances very gradually you have a much more severe pattern of behavior over time. And so then we're talking about dependence, which has all of the characteristics of substance abuse. However, there are two key criteria here. One is tolerance, meaning that the person needs more of the substance in order to achieve the desired effect of intoxication or that there is withdrawal. And so then when a person withdraws from the substance, if they don't have a sufficient amount of the substance in their system, then the signs of withdrawal typically are the opposite of what an acute intoxication is. Okay. So if a person begins using a lot of alcohol and then continues that pattern of behavior, then naturally there is a progression from substance abuse to substance dependency over a period of time. Right. And I think you know, the continuum, actually, the way you described it, actually starts with substance use, which may not be problematic, right? Correct. But then you said you know, it turns into abuse when you start seeing the criteria that you laid out, not meeting their work obligations or putting themselves in risky situations, uh, like DUI you mentioned, and then to dependency when it actually is causing them problems if they withdraw from the substance and the the increase in the amount. So that's like this big continuum, I guess, but for all intents and purposes, it's a problem when it turns to abuse and dependency is just really an extreme part of that. Would would you agree with that? Exactly. Yes. All right. So what I'd like to do here, um, thank you, is we're going to take a short break, but we're talking with Dr. Gerardo Rodriguez and Teresa Albizu about attorney wellness. We've just started the conversation talking about substance abuse and dependency, but we're going to be going much deeper and talking about depression, anxiety, and stress here right after we hear from our sponsors. And uh, we'll be right back. Law Clerk is where attorneys go to hire freelance lawyers. Whether you need a first year to perform legal research or a seasoned attorney to assist with a complicated appellate brief, Law Clerk has hundreds of freelance lawyers with every level of experience and expertise. There are no sign-up or monthly fees. Only pay the flat fee price you set. Increase your profits, not your overhead. Learn more at www.lawclerk.legal. Is your firm experiencing missed calls, empty voicemail boxes, and potential clients you'll never hear from again? Enter Answer One Virtual Receptionists. They're more than just an answering service. Answer One is available 24-7. They can even schedule appointments, respond to emails, integrate with Clio, and much more. Answer One helps make sure your clients have the experience they deserve. Give them a call at 1-800-ANSWER-1 or visit them at answerone.com slash podcast for a special offer. That's answer the number one dot com slash podcast. And we're back on the available hour talking about wellness, taking good care of you with Dr. Gerardo Rodriguez Menendez and Dr. Teresa Albizu, our 
Teresa and Jerry, as they like to be called. Um, and we've been talking so far about substance abuse and substance dependency as uh, obviously the opposite of wellness. There are real problems. Surprising to me, the incidence of these problems uh, in the legal profession compared to the general population and other professions. Um, but now I want to turn our attention, if you will, to depression, because you know that, that was another one that was really far above on the general population and uh, certainly above some other professions. Let's first of all understand what it is, because I think the word depression is kind of thrown around imprecisely among not only lawyers, but just around everybody. What do we mean when we're talking about depression in the legal profession? Well, I can refer to what we're talking about depression when, when we're talking about a psychological disorder. And so there we want to differentiate between the normal blahs that everybody gets, dysphoria, versus a clinical depression that is causing a significant impairment with regards to interpersonal, social, occupational, or academic functioning. Now, depression will vary its manifestation according to age. So it's very different in pediatric cases than it is in adults. Hmm. Similarly, in the elderly, depression can present quite differently. However, generally speaking, we're talking about a period of depressed mood in which there is a real loss for enjoyment of life activities. And that extends for a minimum of two weeks. And then I typically teach SIGI CAPS to my students which is an acronym that you can easily remember. And it's four of the following because many people will see depression. It's so common among friends and among family and among coworkers. So the signs are suicidal ideation, S. I stands for interest, loss of interest. G stands for excessive guilt. E stands for a loss of energy. C, concentration difficulties. A, decreased appetite. Person does not want to eat. P stands for physical agitation or retardation, meaning that the person finds it very difficult to move. It's very common to see that persons with a clinical depression have problems getting out of bed. And then S stands for sleep difficulties. So, SIGI caps. And when we see that a person, a colleague is not doing well, it's really our ethical obligation to go and ask our colleague how they're doing and just say, is everything okay? And so then just listening can be very healing in and of itself. So you're saying ethical obligation, not just among mental health professionals, but among the attorneys, they should be asking this question. Sure. If you have a colleague that you see is having a lot of difficulty and it's impeding their work performance, as a colleague, it is often beneficial just to lend an ear and see how the the individual is doing. If there are some serious signs, then one might go to one supervisor. But certainly one will see this in our coworkers and also persons who we know outside of work. Sure. And I mean, like, for instance, I think a lot of my listeners, in fact, more than 50% of the attorneys in the United States are solo practitioners, meaning they're working as the only lawyer in their business. But, you know, they certainly 
interact with and know other lawyers in the profession. So this would really extend to sort of the bar, right? The, the your colleagues in the business um, and knowing what's going on with them and being willing to step in. How do you step in? Like, how do you, you know, you're looking kind of depressed today, probably isn't the right way to lead the conversation. So what, what would you recommend? No, just an open-ended question. Is everything okay? Yeah. You know, and so then listening to what they have to say, which is the critical thing. And, you know, if they're saying, look, you know, I'm really having difficulty getting out of bed. And they, they say several of these indicators, you know, I'm feeling very guilty or I'm having a lot of difficulty just enjoying my family, enjoying life. Then it's okay to ask a person, have you had any thoughts of harming yourself mm-hmm. and listening to what they say? And rather than try to judge, what you're trying to do is to gather the person's experience so that you know, you're not a mental health professional, but right. you want to know whether or not a person might need a, a referral to a professional. Sure, sure. So you're listening and looking for those clues as to whether or not to refer them. Is there a point in time where it makes sense if they're not going to take that referral to stage a higher level of intervention? Well, there's only so much that you can do. But if a colleague tells you that they've been thinking of harming themselves, then by all means, I would take that to a higher level for intervention. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, Chris, there's a lot that we can do as we work together. And rather than you know, looking the other way or saying, it's not my problem. Oh, poor so-and-so doesn't seem to be doing well. We have a duty to lend a hand to our fellow men and especially our co-workers. We work with them. Our work is impacted by their work. Our relationship is impacted by how they're feeling. So if they're feeling sad, there are many signs, right? People seem not to smile as much, seem to have a worry face. We know how to recognize some of those things. And it's okay to to say you seem sad today. Is there something going on that I may be able to help with? And when you engage in that conversation, like Jerry said, you can suggest that a person seek assistance, right? You know that the Bar Association has the employee assistance programs. They have many resources available to attorneys. But in particular, if you're working within a firm where you believe that their fellow attorney is suffering from some sort of impairment impacting their duties and their work and their relationship with others within the firm, it's your duty to go to your supervisor and report it and say, we have to find a way to help so-and-so. It's not to engage in punitive action. It's to engage in proactive, helpful action. Yeah, yeah, indeed. So we've talked about this, the alcohol and, and other substance use, abuse, and dependency, and a little bit about uh, depression, how to recognize it, and how to help. The third thing that I wanted to bring out was you know, the third sign that you talked about when we started this. We talked about drinking, depression, anxiety, and stress. So I wanted to talk about stress, then we'll talk about anxiety in a moment. But what, what do we mean when we say stress in the profession? Because let's face it, this is a stressful profession. We're, we're, <laughs> we're working with people at the worst times of their lives in a lot of circumstances and or helping them with a situation that is going to impact the rest of their lives. So it's, it is stressful. But what are we talking about when we're talking about stress that interferes with wellness? So 
Um, like you said, Chris, there are different levels of stress, right? You stress, which is the normal or positive kind of stress, which is... And that's EU, EU stress? EU stress, exactly. Yeah. Right. So it's provoked by happy things like getting married. You know, it's a happy mm -hmm. occasion, but it comes with a little bit of stress as well for many different reasons, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Moving to a new position, a new job also is a happy occasion, but it brings it certain levels of stressors. But stress in general is your body's way of responding to any kind of demand or threat. So when you sense danger, whether it's real or imagined, the body's defenses kick into high gear in a rapid automatic process, right? And that is mm -hmm. what it's known as the flight or fight response, right. right? So that is what is called the stress response. Now, this is your body's way of protecting you. So when working properly, it helps you to stay focused, energetic, and alert. But and in emergency situations, right, stress can actually save your life, like giving you a little extra strength to defend yourself. So, for example, when you slam your brakes to avoid an accident. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's a good thing. Now, stress can also help you rise to meet challenges, right? It's what keeps you on your toes during a presentation at work or drives you to study for an exam when you'd rather be watching TV. But beyond a certain point, stress stops being helpful and it starts causing major damage to your health and to your mood, to your productivity, your relationships, and the overall quality of your life. And that is where we need to be very, very alert because what happens is that we become so familiar with the feelings of stress that we begin to normalize it. Mm. And that is when we are feeling symptoms of chronic stress, right? Which they are persistent stressors in our lives. Right. And we tend to normalize them and feel that it's okay to be stressful and that enduring stress in some way is courageous. When in fact, the courage comes in being insightful and aware that you're indeed in that place where you are suffering high levels of stressors and that you do need to do something about it, right? So it shows up for you in different ways because signs and symptoms of stress can show uh, physically, behaviorally, and certainly cognitively. So the idea is that you know what they are, how to recognize them so that you know when is it that you have to engage in doing something about it. Right, right. What are some of the long-term impacts of stress? Like, what are the health damage that can happen? Well, in fact, in there are some cases that show that physical signs can pervasively disturb your sleep and cause insomnia or other sleep problems. You can certainly start feeling very deep muscle pain, right? And tension mm. in your back that mm -hmm. requires then medical attention. Digestive problems with constipation or diarrhea or, you know, stomach upset and nausea. And there's some studies that show that there's a correlation between levels of stress and cancer and certain other medical conditions. Yeah. Wow. Wow. All right. Well, so what I'd like to do is we're going to take our second break here from the program because we do want to hear from our sponsors. But when we come back, um, I'm talking right now with Dr. Uh, Teresa Albizu and Dr. Gerardo Rodriguez-Menendez about attorney wellness. We've talked about substance abuse. We've talked about depression. And now we're talking about stress. I want to come back and talk about anxiety and the relationship between anxiety and stress. And then 
let's turn the corner a little bit because we've talked about all these problems. I want to talk about ways that attorneys can use this information to cope, to improve their wellness, and to help each other. So we'll come back and talk about that in just a moment. Feel like your marketing efforts aren't getting you the high-value cases your firm deserves? For over 15 years, Scorpion has helped thousands of law firms just like yours attract new cases and grow their practices. As a Google Premier Partner and winner of Google's Platform Innovator Award, Scorpion has the right resources and technology to aggressively market your law firm and generate better cases from the internet. For more information, visit scorpionlegal.com forward slash podcast today. Ready to create and build your own solo or small farm practice? Need a nuts and bolts education on the 360-degree experience of starting a business? There's only one online destination dedicated to helping you achieve your goals, Solo Practice University. The only online educational and professional networking community dedicated to lawyers and law students who want to go into practice for themselves. More than a thousand classes, 58 faculty and mentors. What are you waiting for? Check out solopracticeuniversity.com today. And we're back with uh, Dr. Gerardo Rodriguez Menendez and Dr. Teresa Albizu of the RA Pinnacle Group, and we're talking about attorney wellness. Um, when we took the break, we uh, were just finished talking a little bit about stress and the symptoms and, and damage that it can do to your health to have long-term stress in your job. So I wanted to come back and say, uh, just ask, uh, first of all, about the relationship between stress and anxiety, because that was the fourth factor we were going to talk about. Like, what's the difference between stress and anxiety so that we can understand how these affect us differently? Well, when we speak of stress, as Teresa was mentioning, stress is a physiological and an emotional or psychological experience. Now, Mm -hmm. there are three main components in a stress response. One is hormonal. And so uh, you've got these uh, adrenal glands that sit right on top of your kidneys. And when you feel stress, your brain sends a signal to them to release, in particular, norepinephrine and cortisol. Norepinephrine is extremely important in that fight-or-flight response that Teresa was talking about, just as is cortisol. Uh, Norepinephrine is going to speed up your heart rate. It's going to increase your blood pressure. It's going to increase blood flow into your muscle areas so that you're ready to run or to fight as the situation demands. Cortisol regulates your metabolism. It also regulates your blood pressure, decreases your inflammation. But over a long period of time, you know, if you've got increased blood pressure, what's happening then is that the blood is really, you know, uh, creating harm in terms of the pressure against very delicate capillaries and blood vessels, you're going to have an increase in blood sugar with elevated cortisol levels, Mm -hmm. an increase in blood pressure, increase in probability to type 2 diabetes. And that's why this stress response is so important. In addition, you have overactivation of the autonomic nervous system, which is that second component. So the first I said is hormonal. The second is autonomic. And again, when you're thinking of the sympathetic nervous system, you're thinking of that fight or flight response, and then you have the the behavioral aspects or observable actions that a person engages in. Now, when we're talking about anxiety, which is a reaction to the stressor, 
There we're feeling either a person is feeling apprehension, tension, or sometimes dread. Sometimes the person, you know, does not know the source of their fear. It's a free-floating type of anxiety, or in other instances, it's exaggerated to the actual element that, you know, is producing the anxiety in the individual, for example, fear of public speaking, for example. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because there's no actual danger, right? But it still creates a stress response. Exactly. But it is sufficient enough that it interferes with our daily functioning. Now, there are many different types of disorders that fall into that general family of anxiety disorders, but that's a general description of anxiety per se. When we're talking about fear, on the other hand, we're talking about having a rational basis for the fear or the physiological response. There is an actual threat against us. Well, okay. And so how then do we talk about anxiety? Um, how can they deal with it? Like, how do you get away from the anxiety that's caused by this long-term exposure to, to, to these inputs? Well, you can't get away from the stressors. And so then one thing is the stressor, but what you can control, you don't have any control really or limited control over the stressor. What you do have control over is your response to that particular stressor. Mm -hmm. So we like to say event plus response equals outcome. So there are certainly adaptive ways to deal with anxiety and with stress, and there are maladaptive ways to deal with anxiety and with stress. So uh, in terms of the adaptive ways, that's when we're talking about strategies for stress management. And being able to identify the sources of stress is of critical importance, but engaging in true relaxation techniques. And when people think of relaxation, they tend to think of sitting in front of the TV and you know popping open a, a beer and uh, watching a favorite program. But that really is not relaxation. That's more like mental vegetation. <laughs> relaxation has to do with mindfulness. It has to do with getting your body in a physiological state, right? So if you have stress and stressors that place you into a physiological state, you can influence that particular state. Okay. So, I mean, just like, I mean, and that's important, I think, to understand because I think like a lot of people understand, I'm just going to include myself, right? That this is a stressful profession and that stress is bad. And that we're, sometimes we feel stressed and we want to feel unstressed. But few people, I think, take that action of doing something affirmative like like you said popping a beer and, and watching a movie or going and hanging out with your friends or maybe going for a run but uh not really wellness focused how can people learn to do that yeah and you're absolutely right chris with that and this is one of the greatest challenges right that we face when we provide wellness services especially to attorneys or other high stress demand professions and that is that many of the things that you can do to deal with stress and anxiety are common sense strategies. However, the problem with us is that we don't seem to be commonly practicing common sense, right? <laughs> so, yeah. so we know, for example, 
that physical exercise, right, should be number one on your list for many, okay, many great. different, right? Because it yeah. releases neurochemicals in the brain that aid concentration, and it is very beneficial for reducing stress. Relaxation techniques from simple relaxation of the body, like stretching, to more complex progressive relaxation exercises, right? So of tensing your muscles and then releasing the tension. But you have to pay attention and you have to do it. Breathing is super underestimated. But taking deep breaths when you are in a charged, emotionally charged situation, Inhale deeply and then let it out. And as you exhale, your exhalation will be a little bit longer in time than your inhalation was. And doing this three or four times, right, before then you decide what is it that you're going to do, say, or the way that you're going to react makes a huge difference, right? For law professionals, Time management, believe it or not, is a big stress buster. So there are specific strategies. How do we clarify priorities? How do we set goals? How do we evaluate how our time was spent? How do we develop an action plan, right? And then how do we overcome procrastination when stress takes the best of us and messes up our focus? And at the end of the day, we figured we haven't done half of the stuff that we were supposed to have done. So there's certainly many strategies that we can engage in to deal with stress and anxiety. We need to really learn what those are. And we also need to practice them in a manner that allows us to assess which ones are the ones that are working best for us individually. Because the fact that there are many of them doesn't mean that we have to do them all or that all of them work the same way on everyone. Does that make sense? Not only does it make sense, but the key, I think, for me, the hopefulness and the, the key to this is that they are learnable, right? This exactly. Is, it's, it's not that this is like we're just describing the woes of the legal profession and, oh, well, guys, right. <laughs> good luck with that. Exactly. Um, these, are, these are learnable coping mechanisms. As we come to the top of the show, or the, the end of the show, I should say, um, what I'd like to do is just like, let's do one strategy that we can learn here, and then we'll give a way for people to get in touch with you if they want to learn more. What would you recommend as strategies for disengaging from work at the end of the day? Well, in terms of disengagement, we find that a period of reflection at the end of the day and making a list of the day's accomplishments, some people find to be beneficial. So Mm -hmm. you need to understand what works for you. Some of these suggestions may work for you. Others may not, but take away what you will find helpful. I always think that it's very important to look at the calendar of the next day and know what awaits you. Mm-hmm. And so then that way you're, you're not thinking, you know, when, when you leave, you don't have any free-floating anxiety about uh, when is my first meeting tomorrow morning. Or Jerry, when you leave the office and you're on your way to either catch the train or get in your car, you continue constantly ruminating about what's going to happen the next day. I think it's very important that we put into perspective before we leave the office. What did I do that really accomplished my main goals? And what is it that I'm going to tackle as I come in tomorrow morning? That clears your brain, right? And your mind and even your heart, right? (laughs) Of any heaviness about anticipating the next day. 
Well, actually, I think that you've hit it right on the head, Teresa, and that transitioning from work to home is a process. And so then the worst thing is to begin ruminating about what happened during the day and how you, you know, handled a certain challenge that that came up, how that challenge was handled, the personality dynamics. I mean, if that's what you're thinking about before you get home, you're just going to bring that with you home, which is the opposite of what you want. So as you are disengaging, it means to leave the day behind in terms of the workplace. You know, if at all possible, you know, put your email on silencer so that you don't have that constant ringing when you come home. Anticipate the joy of sharing with your spouse or partner and family members before you get home so that your mind is on that aspect and not a problem that happened during the day. Because again, when you open that door, you know, you want to give your family your very best. And you probably spend more waking hours with your coworkers than you do your family. So that time that you have with family is really precious. And you need to prepare ahead of time for when you, you know, get home so that you can really enjoy their presence. And may I say that we all go through moments, right? Certain challenges that just bug us to an extreme. And so when we're going home and we're disengaging and we find, right, that we need a little bit of a sounding board and we feel that coming home and having a few minutes to chat with our partner, our spouse, a family member about it may place things in a little bit of perspective for the next day. That's okay. But do yourself a favor and time it. You know, give yourself 15 minutes right? At tops to talk about an issue that happened or how do you see this? I'm having a problem with this. How do you suggest perhaps that I consider that or the other? And then after the 15 minutes, boom, case closed. Now we're going to have our time together and focus on our relationship, you know, on the evening, on the dinner, you know, and so on and so forth. This is great because, you know, one of the key things about the unbillable hours that we work with all of our listeners to help them build a law firm that works for them. And it certainly works better for you if you can come home and be with your family and not stuck back at work in your head. So I think these these are great strategies. And unfortunately, it's also we're out of time because we could go, gosh, we could go on. This is so much, so much useful stuff here. Thank you so much, uh, Teresa and Jerry. I really appreciate you being guests. Thank you. It's been our pleasure. And uh, yeah, like you said, there's so much more to talk about. And uh, we hope that if at least your listeners have been able to take a little bit out of this time uh, with us together, I think we've done a good job. Great. So um, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to tell them how to get in touch with you if they want to learn more. But right now, I'm just going to have to say that this does wrap up this edition of the Unbillable Hour, the Law Business Advisory Podcast. Our guests today have been Dr. Teresa Albizu, or Teresa, and Dr. Gerardo Rodriguez Menendez, or Jerry, co-presidents of the R-A Pinnacle Group. Um, and if they do want to learn more, um, how can they get in touch with you or learn more from uh, from what you've got online for them? Sure. You may reach us through our email at T, as in Teresa, Albizu, at rapinnaclegroup.com. Our website is www.rapinnaclegroup.com. And you can reach us via phone at 305-525-3627.
Fantastic. Again, Jerry, Teresa, thank you so much. And this is Christopher Anderson. I look forward to seeing you next month with another great guest as we learn more about topics that help us build the law firm business that works for you. Remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on iTunes. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you again soon. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast. Join us again for the next edition, right here with Legal Talk Network. by doing with Practicing Law Institute's award-winning on-demand interactive programs. Developed by experts in learning design, these immersive programs incorporate the latest in research-based instructional design and technology, allowing you to try out concepts, challenge yourself, and grow your skills using real-world scenarios. With programs focusing on professional development, client-facing skills, and law practice management, you can earn CLE while you learn. Launch now at pli.edu slash interactive or download PLI's mobile app.